Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, hello, I'm Dr. Kim. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Dr. Jeannie, your other host. And today we're going to be talking about obesity and our dogs and cats with our old friend and buddy, veterinarian, Dr. John Sims, better known to our audience as Dr. J. <laughs> it's going to be fun, huh, Jeannie? Mm-hmm. We've been I'm looking forward to this. Get, yeah, me too. I've really been looking forward to it. I'm not sure we're going to get to say a whole lot. And you know what? That is so cool <laughs> because we have, we have listeners who are so excited that Dr. J is going to be back with That's us today. Right. And let us know, and they're eager to hear what he has to share. Mm-hmm. So, um, And we're looking forward to it, as always. So before we hear from Dr. J, we're going to hear from one of our radio partners. And then we'll be right back. Don't go away. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Be sure to tune in when Pet Life Radio goes live from Global Pet Expo, the world's largest annual pet products trade show. March 25th through the 27th, you can catch all the new products coming out for our pets before they even hit store shelves. From the latest in all-natural and eco-friendly products to the most elegant in pet pampering and high-tech innovations from companies all over the globe, it's at Global Pet Expo. Nearly 800 companies will be displaying new and exciting products to make time with our pets even better. Tune in March 25th through the 27th for everything Global Pet Expo. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. 
Pet Planet magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. My pet experts will be coming to the party to answer your pet questions, and they'll also be sharing their favorite stories and messages with us, but I'll be asking them some tough questions. We'll get their opinions on the hot-button topics like the pit bull ban, pet food, vaccines, religion, politics, and animals, cat decline, and the latest news, whatever's turning the animal world on its head, we'll be talking about at the animal party. This party's got bite. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Well, we'd like to welcome our listening audience. Um, Christian, thank you for being with us. It's always in our chat, and uh, we are looking forward to chatting with our buddy, Dr. J. Is that to you there, Dr. J? I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, it's so good to hear voice. Well, I wasn't sure whether I had to punch pound or something to get into this thing or not. I didn't know if I was on or not, but <laughs> I was in there. I was sitting there. I was sitting there fumbling through my emails trying to find the phone number, and when I punched it into my cell phone, up came the caller ID, um, Animal Talk Naturally. I already had it plugged into the phone, so I didn't realize. <laughs> so you guys are with me. You're with we're me so always. Glad to have and, you back. Oh, well, you're, always, you're in our hearts, and we're thinking about you all the time. And you know, the audience was happy to hear that you were coming back. And yeah, um, we want That's to hear good. that, weren't you just recently a speaker at the AHVMA um, conference? That's right, yeah, out in Reno uh, a week or so ago, yeah, I spoke on, well, we on the subject peripheral to this anyway, we didn't talk specifically about uh, obesity, but we were talking about lectins, uh, that, that term we now use to, to apply to those little antibody-sized proteins that are in our body doing so many different things, including stimulating fat, and we'll give you some good practical examples as to how that happens so people can understand that. But, yeah, it was great. I always enjoy talking to that group, and um, and I was at the um, at the uh, NAVC in, in Orlando in January and gave a similar talk. So I'm I'm the anchor on these things. They always put me in at the end, so small but appreciative, <laughs> oh. small but appreciative groups. You know, all I'm looking for is, you know, oh, why, I told, I told them all I was why? looking for was twelve. <laughs> What's that? Twelve, yeah. <laughs> you know why they put you on at the end, Doctor J? Because you're so lively that yeah. oh, really? if they were sleepy, oh. they wouldn't be after you got done talking. That's right. You'd wake them up. <laughs> 
Oh, I thought it was like at the theater when I was growing up that they had a cartoon at the end of the show, you know. You know I, I, I thought, I thought, yeah, th- throw the clown out there, you know, give, you know, and throw some candy at the end too, you know, kind of like kind of like Mardi Gras to make everybody happy as they leave. <laughs> I seriously doubt that. We know that your other friend, Doctor Stephen Blake, was there, and also probably Doctor Ava Frick, and I don't know who mm-hmm. else, but um, so yeah, we know that they all people. spoke. So, and they've been, as you know, guests on the show too, but you have been our most often repeated guest and have spoken really in detail on both human and animal health. And uh-huh. so I think that you're probably going to be able to elaborate on um, obesity, not just in dogs and cats, but I have a feeling it's going to sneak over into human health too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what we say, that the, the only difference between uh, animals and people is uh, what's between their ears, and, and sometimes that difference <laughs> yeah. is very small, actually. You know? Yeah. Sometimes that is really small. <laughs> so, you know, but, uh, oh, yeah, the physiology is the same as most people know. Uh, we share diseases, which is interesting, and we've talked about that before. And and um, and the, um, uh, the they unfortunately they use dogs and stuff in testing for various mm-hmm. things because of the close proximity to people. So everything that we're talking about in dogs and cats and and horses and cattle, um, um, you know, dietarily these things um, you know apply to humans. It's just with those animals that have different stomachs, like the ruminants and stuff. They exactly. they, uh, yeah. they 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 deal with these things a little bit differently. But when we get into um, why obesity occurs and why the big four that I always write about, or as I lovingly call them, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, why they affect all species the same way, including ruminants. Exactly. So, uh, well, you know, we're actually really eager to hear what you have to share, and we're going to sit back and let you take the floor on this, Dr. J, because well, this is something you're so passionate about. I mean, this right. is everything, everything that you talk about from viruses to epilepsy, um, even to autism, you, <clears throat> you always tie it into this very subject we're going to be talking about today, and obesity is a big part of that, isn't it? That's right. That's right. As I was explaining to a client earlier today, you know, we get the, the fun part of these eight years of research and looking for answers and stuff, which I'm really addicted to now. Um, it's a God-given addiction. It's one of the good addictions. <laughs> yeah. Most of the, most addictions are bad, and that fits right into the whole lecture why we're addicted to wheat and dairy, physically addicted to wheat and dairy. Uh, there are no physical addictions that are healthy for the body, and those are clearly the most addictive foods. Um, and um, and the reason why is that the proteins that are causing the addiction are, are off-causing other diseases, including stimulating obesity. And as I was explaining to somebody in the exam room today, what we have wrong... Um, is the cause and effect. We, we, you know, people are being told that obesity is one of the leading causes of death of people in this country, and it's simply not true. You know, uh, uh, you know, obesity is the, the biggest problem, as we see in dogs. The biggest problem with obesity is broken down joints. <laughs> you know, uh, a little a little dachshund's body is not meant to carry fifty pounds of fat around. And when they're and when you get these little dachshunds that look like a knockwurst instead of a nice little uh, you know hot dog like they're supposed to be, then the main thing that goes are their knees and their and their ankles and their hips. The obesity does not lead to their backs the, too, right? And their backs, exactly. Their backs, exactly. The, 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 the obesity does not cause diabetes, but the same thing that causes the obesity causes the diabetes. Obesity does not cause heart disease, but the things that are causing obesity cause heart disease. And this is the proper perspective. It's like I always I talk about cancer a lot, like at that lecture out in out in Reno. Uh, you know, um, carcinogens don't cause cancer. 
Okay, mm-hmm. viruses cause cancer and carcinogens cause viruses to cause cancer. That's the proper perspective. And so we're, a lot of times the truth is not, is not readily apparent, you know, in, in a lot of different things, in a lot of different things. <laughs> uh, you know, you have, to, you have to go a level or two deeper to find the real answer. And so I don't want to downplay the importance of obesity because, because obesity is a, it's a, a, you know, it's a serious, serious matter. But I don't want people walking around thinking that just because they're obese, they're automatically going to get type 1 diabetes, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, or have a heart attack. Now, if you have a bad heart, or if an animal has a bad heart and they're morbidly obese, then that's a lot of stress on that bad heart. But you've got to have a bad heart to begin with. And so what we keep coming back to is the origin of this, you know, and that's why people think I'm, you know, really must think a lot of myself to have a section on my website called The Origin of Disease. But it's Not really, really important. No, be- I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I think I think it is too. But you know, where the where this all goes wrong is our is our massive consumption of these things and the sensitivity that we have to these things. But back to the origin. You know, other than viruses, we'll skip the virus part to begin just to start with. But we'll get right to the heart of the matter, which are these proteins uh, that are that we're flooding our bodies with that are doing so much harm. And this, the, the title of my lecture out in Reno and in and in and in uh, Orlando this year was uh, lectins and viruses, the missing links, because we've left these guys out of our out of our thought process because we really haven't known that much about them, to be honest with you, for the longest time. Um, you, were gonna, and, you just answered my question. I was going to say, why do you think we've done that? <laughs> well, well, part of it is because of ignorance, and part of it is greed. You know, it's like we've talked ah, about many times that the two sure. the two things that drive a lot of bad things in this world are ignorance and greed. And um, and then I realized I may have told you that story, but um, um, I was in the shower where I do a, a lot of my best thinking. And there's uh, something about running water, you know, there's something about, there's something really interesting about running water. And so I was sitting there thinking about that, and then I realized that it's not just ignorance and greed that make us do bad things. There's a third element, and it's called disobedience, you know, because a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people in the exam room about all of this stuff, and there are a lot of people that say they get it, but they're not doing it. And so there's ignorance. Uh, there's, which is, just means unknowing. You know, I hate to use right. the word why ignorant. Do don't, why don't they do it, do you think? I mean, what, what, well, what, do, they, a, what do they say it, to you when you say, I just don't do it? I know what you're saying is true, but I don't do it. Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's because of laziness, and it's because of lack of motivation, it's because they're thoroughly deceived, and it's because people just, they're, they're so full now, you know, especially with all this stuff going on in politics and in the world today, and the mm-hmm. economic crash, people are just so full, they just blow it all off, and clients a lot of times look at me in the eye and say, you know, Doc, I understand all this stuff, but you know we all got to die of something. Uh, and uh, and, wow. and I used to just I used to just either laugh that off, you know, kind of nervously, mm-hmm. or I would let that be the end of the discussion. Okay, we're not going any further with this person. But now that I've been doing internet consultations for eight years, and, and including with a lot of people, and, and trying to help people who are deathly ill, people who wish they would die. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are tired of being sick. I mean, definitely not not just with not with just like things you know serious things like fibromyalgia and diabetes. These people have MS and ALS and they're in, in end stage mm-hmm. cancer, and they really they want to die. So when I look at people, when people say we all got to die of something, I say 
You know, I used to let that go, but I don't do that anymore, you know, because it's important that you understand that the majority of people on this earth don't go from healthy to dead. Okay. They go through a period, they go through a lengthy period of suffering, and there are a lot of people that suffer for years and years and years, and then the final years, they're wishing they would die. They can't, they're, they're, they would, you know, embrace death if it came today because they're tired of all of this suffering. So, you know, when you say we all got to die of something, hmm? It's interesting that you say that because my uncle just passed away two day, three days ago, and he had suffered from cancer. Um, it was in his jaw. It had disfigured him, right. a once handsome man, and he was not a ha- nice person to be around for so many years. He just used to say, right. I wish I would die, so he had a right. massive heart attack. He was very overweight, and he died this weekend. He, when yeah. he was dying, he was finally felt like, I'm happy now. Right, right, and, and during and he yeah. died during one of the he died during one of the worst gauntlets. Who we talked about the gauntlets before? You know, this is this is that a Armageddon right now. And a, <laughs> a lot that of people, a lot been of in my head since you said that the gauntlet time, and I've been telling everybody we're in a gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, it was almost on this day that my mother had two strokes a year apart, and then my dad had his six bypasses. I think on this day six years ago. And uh, and so uh, that's when I started seeing the, the 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 nature of it. And I've had a number of people lose loved ones, and it's been medical Armageddon here at the at the veterinary hospital here for the last three to four weeks. So the seasonality of disease is very very real. Uh, the cool thing is that the cold and flu season, the outbreak of all these viruses that are out now, is the thing seen to help you understand that the viruses inside your body, those latent viruses that are there that are being aggravated by carcinogens and lectins and air pollution and stuff that they also flare up this time of year so uh, the beauty of the creation is God's given us things that we can see to help us understand the unseen you know in parasites and dogs we got roundworms and tapeworms are those that we can see they actually do the least amount of harm it's the hookworms and whipworms that you can't see that do the mm-hmm. most harm you know, so it, this, 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 this really a cool thing to see because it carries all through medicine and through other things the seen versus the unseen but yeah a lot of people Dr. J, isn't it gauntlet for animals as well as humans at the oh, yes. time of year? Oh yeah, I've had I've had three cases of autoimmune hemolytic anemia in the last three weeks, mm-hmm. um, and I've been seeing cancer and all sorts of other immune mediated diseases and and all the skin problems and all of the you know the ones of mainly of people who aren't listening because the the thing is it's really I've been doing this for eight years. Everybody knows I'm a bulldog here. I'm I'm really considering waterboarding some of my clients now <laughs> to, to to get them to tell me the truth of what they're doing with these dogs that aren't getting better. You know, of course, I'm joking. But, you know, I've always talked about doing the bright lights and the bamboo shoots to try to get these people to confess what they're doing wrong to these dogs that aren't getting better. And then to be politically incorrect, I thought I'd throw the waterboarding comment out there. But, hey, uh, but no, the, the, a lot of these people are not doing it, and that's where the disobedience come in. And so when I was in the shower, back to the original story, um, um, you know, I'm saying, okay, it's ignorance and greed and disobedience. So wait a second. It's disobedience, ignorance, and greed that's D. IG, that's dig. Yeah, we dig our own grave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, you know, wow. I, I thought about I thought about writing that up and giving it to my pastor, you know. But um, <laughs> no, it was one of those one of those interesting, you know. It th- sometimes things are what they are. But the the, the one of the, the big missing links are viruses and and um, and obesity and and lectins and obesity. If people right now would put viruses and obesity in the search engine of their computer, they will be stunned at how much researcher, researchers know about the role of viruses in obesity. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts here, there's a relationship between these lectins, these food proteins that come from the big four, which are the gluten grains, wheat, barley, and rye 
dairy, soy, and corn. Those are the big four. They'll always be the big four, and they're getting to be more and more you know, powerful um, uh, than they ever have been through genetic modification. Okay, oh, yeah. so and aren't a lot of those in the yeah. pet foods nowadays too, Doctor? Oh yeah, of course. The, the vast majority of pet foods have one or more of them. Some foods have all of them. I have a bag of a commonly fed dog food with vegetables all over the bag, and the commercials have vegetables falling from the sky. I won't mention their oh. name, uh, but um, you know you're talking about them. But the uh, <laughs> and um, and the um, and I have a skull and crossbones now on there. I'd put on there with a sharpie, and I just point to it and say that right there. That's the that's the Dr. J seal of disapproval. Yeah, <laughs> I like that one because because I'm going to have that on my website, Dr. Good. J seal of disapproval, and I'm going to yeah. make up something with it with a Jolly Roger. Uh, but the uh, <laughs> but the um, the problem with that food is it's got all of the big four in it first of all, and then the problem the serious problem I have with it is that people are are deceived into buying the food because of the of the fruits right. and vegetables that are reportedly I mean the vegetables that are reportedly in it. Well, first of all, peas are not a vegetable; they're a legume. Mm. And carrots are actually not a vegetable either; they're a root. But anyway, um, forget that part. Uh, but when you when you uh, when you get on the ingredient list, you see that the the there is a molecular amount of of peas and carrots in that food because there's more uh, L-lysine monohydrochloride, more calcium carbonate, more sugar, um, more um, salt, more potassium, more all of these elemental things in there. Uh, then there are peas and carrots by their ingredient list because actually the peas and carrots are after the artificial colors and, um, you know, after the red dye number 40. So anybody who knows how to read a label properly, you know that the ingredients get, you know, the law of diminishing returns or whatever. The, the farther down the list you get, the less there is of that. And so when you see where the vegetables are placed on the ingredient list, you go, they put those in there purely to say that they were in there and exactly. to put them on the label to make you buy the food. And mm-hmm. that's, when I, that's, when, that's when you go from being upset to being really angry or you go from something that's just not so great to something that's really easy. To use a word, uh, and and so I don't have any. I don't pull. I pull out the stops on things like that. Uh, but people need to know how to read labels. But the main problem I have with the with the uh, with that food, <laughs> I almost said it. Um, you know, is the uh, is the big four that are in there, and right. so uh, the term I'm using is lectin. It's L E C T I N. Uh, you put that in your search engine. You can read for days and days about it. It's the concept of lectins that Dr. Diadamo or Diadamo, I've never literally learned how to pronounce his name properly, but sorry about that, doctor. Um, but he's the one that did the books, uh, the books on eating right for your blood type, um, which there's some real truth in that. Uh, it's not the gospel by any means, but he has a, he has a large segment of the truth there. And <clears throat> the whole idea... Uh, behind that was that they discovered that when they took human blood and put in solutions of various food proteins that it caused the blood to autoagglutinate, mm-hmm. just like I've seen in the last three days. I've seen three cases of, of hemolytic, uh, autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Right. And what happens in that is that a foreign protein of some kind, and there's numerous ones, you know, coat the red blood cells. The body doesn't recognize them anymore as being, uh, you know, normal, and they start destroying them, and they break down in the bloodstream, and suddenly you get very anemic and jaundiced and all sorts of things. Uh, but they discovered that these proteins caused agglutination of human blood cells, and they said, hmm. I wonder if that happens in the bloodstream. <laughs> and, 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 of course, uh, it do, uh, to put it in Alabamese, you know. Um, Alabama vernacular? Alabama vernacular, you know. Very good. 
Well, that's some really weird stuff there. But uh, but no. Um, and the um, I've had too much tea. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> too, too, too much sweet tea. No, I, I drink my tea unsweetened, but still, you you, you get a get a little effect from it. But no, uh, the the um, the lectins are involved in this when an individual becomes sensitized to a lectin with the most well-known syndrome being celiac disease. Uh, it's finally crawling out of the woodwork. This is, as you all know, this is what started my whole journey eight years ago, finding out that I've been weed intolerant all my life, and I was on five different prescription drugs, and I went off of weed, and, and within a month I was super ran. You know, I mean, really, I was playing 45 holes of golf and not even taking an Advil afterwards and uh, where I used to be self-medicating with cortisone on top of all of my prescription drugs. I had a life-changing thing. I had to know how in the world something like wheat, a staple in our diet, makes up 30% of the calories or more in the American diet. I had to know how wheat could be causing all of my symptoms. And then when I started reading about celiac disease, I had to know why, how wheat was tied to every disease that strikes dog and man. Okay, then I had to know, I, I, was lear- I learned about celiac disease in veterinary school 30 years ago, I had to know why celiac disease was left out of the curriculum of veterinary medicine starting about 20 years ago when we transitioned from corn to wheat-based dog food. <laughs> and, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to look very far to find out why that is, but out in Reno, I asked the group, I said, how many of you were taught about celiac disease in veterinary school? And not a single hand went up. Okay, and I went. We're going to talk about that now. Let me ask you another question: <laughs> How many? How many of you remember being taught in veterinary school what the duodenum absorbs in the way of nutrients? And not a single hand went up. And I said, and we're going to. I said we're going to talk about that. You know, no, this is. I've never. And and all. I've spoken to five major conferences now, and one human conference. I do not get hands going up when I ask how many of them remember what the what the duodenum absorbs. Really? You know, doc- That's just yeah. amazing, Doctor. Well, you know, you know now. Doctor Oz was on Oprah the other day, and Doctor Oz swallowed the camera pill, you know, and he was walking everybody through his intestinal tract, like like I wanted to go there, but no. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I turned it off before he got to the colon. No, um, <laughs> the no. He says, "Okay, here we are in the stomach, Oprah, you know, and now we're passing through the duodenum. Now we're here in the jejunum where everything is absorbed." And I'm yelling at my television, hoping that Oprah will hear me, of course, um, right. but it, it doesn't work that way yet yeah. <laughs> and uh and i'm going i'm going no 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 wait wait back up a minute you've forgotten the duodenum and of course uh you guys know that the duodenum absorbs the calcium the iron the iodine the b complex of vitamin c and all your trace minerals you know like mm-hmm. lithium boron chromium magnesium and stuff but the average veterinarian and doctor does not know that the average veterinarian and doctor thinks that the duodenum is just a conduit from the stomach to the mm-hmm. jejunum where everything's absorbed and the jejunum is important. It's where the fats and proteins and fat-soluble vitamins and some other, you know, some of the trace minerals and things are absorbed there. Um, but um, why but is that, Dr. J? Do you think is that that definitely is something that is taught during anatomy and physiology? I know. Yeah, that's our but... that's our next podcast. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that that'll have to be the next. That that'll get me in the next. You know, the next time. Alrighty. No, uh, no, that's a that's a deep, 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 deep hole. You know, and uh, we're back to the ignorance and greed, but. The, uh, but no, I've had three board certified doctors look me in the eye and tell me that the duodenum absorbs nothing, one of which was a surgeon who was just about to be trained to do the Ruin Y bypass surgery, you know, which mm-hmm. takes the duodenum out of the picture. And don't ever have that done, anyone who's listening, as far as I'm concerned. You're, you, what you are, you become an acute surgical celiac at that point. 
when the Wadnam is compromised in that way. And so it's very understandable why those people have osteoporosis and iron deficiency anemia and a very high morbidity rate. Their bone density comes apart about four or five years later and the doctors are scratching their head and they're going, well, you know, they don't know that 95% of your vitamin D activity takes place in the first one third of the duodenum, um, you know, which is being taken out of the loop in that surgery. But um, but back to the lectins, you know, these, these lectins of gluten, uh, the antibody-sized little proteins, they start attaching to the little cells of the villi. And in sensitized individuals and those who are sensitive to that, and we'll talk about who has that and how many, um, then all of a sudden there's an immune reaction in those villi, and the villi start breaking up, and they start, you know, getting all gnarly looking, and they induce this malabsorption syndrome. And it's meant that, of course, you know, the cool thing is when you look at it for what it is, it's, that was meant to be a temporary reaction. It was meant to be an adaptation. You've eaten something wrong, your body reacts so that you don't absorb this stuff, and it was meant to be something that would then resolve because you would have some symptoms, some heartburn, some diarrhea, some gas, something that would say, you know, I probably shouldn't eat that again. Right. Uh, you know, like, like, like cats are so good at, you know, um, yeah. and, and, th- and then it would all grow back. But because we don't understand this, and because now 75% or more of our diet comes from wheat and dairy, the two biggest offenders, then our villi are all coming apart. And, but that's only the beginning, you know, because when you become sensitized, at the time the gluten damages the villi, that's when you form the antibodies against wheat, and that's when the wheat allergy develops, okay? Okay, so but, does, this happen, does this happen in the, in, in the dogs and cats too, Dr. J? Yes, it does. Oh, yeah, that's why wheat, wheat, wheat has always been a major allergen in the dog and the cat. Uh, 30 years ago... It, it's still part of the food. It's still, it's still part oh, of yes. commercial food. Yes, good that, that you, good that you thing. keep bringing that up because that's a very important. That's a that's a contradiction. That's a mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's a real puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm not, I'm not sure I can say conundrum. Not sure I can say conundrum in in Alabamese because I'm not sure they know that word. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But no, the, it's a it, it, yeah, it's a it's a it, that's a real major question, and people need to be asking that question. Um, it, that question is addressed in my paper. Um, you know, is the pet food industry in the business of population control? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which, you know, that really raised some eyebrows, of course. And, and, and it was meant to, the title was meant to kind of make you want to read that article. But it's not a conspiracy theorist type of paper, as the title suggests. Um, you know, um, the answer to the question is yes, they are, because animal dogs can live much longer than they do, and cats can live much longer than they do. Cats have been known to live to be. 40. You know, the oldest living cat right now is 38, but the average age of the cat in this country is 13. And so what's doing it to them? Very clearly, it's their diet. And so the answer is the pet food industry is in the business of population control. The deeper question that I leave up to the reader is, do they know it? You know, mm-hmm. do they know? Do they know why they are? And that's for the reader to decide. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I've gone there and I've got my opinion, but I'm going to let everybody else form their opinion for themselves there. But the it's because these proteins. Once we're sensitized to these proteins, the next phase is they enter the bloodstream. Okay, now you've got antibody-sized proteins floating around in your blood. Now to put it in perspective for you, you know, antibodies are smaller than viruses. Antibodies, you know, your antibodies coat viruses, and then the body comes and gobbles up that complex, and that's how they get rid of a virus. Okay, and so the uh, an- viruses have little glycoprotein receptors on them, just like every cell does, and and antibodies can stick to that. But so can these proteins because they're antibody sized. All right, and so now you've got antibody sized protein of wheat 
uh, corn, dairy, soy, peanuts in your bloodstream. Hey, why do I mention peanuts? Because people are they're confounded by this phenomenon that happens where where somebody is so allergic to peanuts that they could be breathed on or kissed by somebody who just ate peanuts and they can have an anaphylactic reaction and die. Well, we just yeah. had. We just had that happen in Mobile last year. Somebody was that peanut allergic. Uh, got, uh, I think she got kissed by somebody who ate peanuts or something, and she had an athletic reaction and died. What in the world could you transmit in your breath that that would cause somebody who's that sensitive to peanuts to pick up on it? Well, these it's these antibody-sized proteins, these lectins. You can transmit viruses in your blood. I mean, from in your breath, and lectins are smaller than viruses. So there's your, that's just to kind of give you an image of what's going on. So picture them in your bloodstream. They're floating through your bloodstream. They're going off to your thyroid glands and inducing thyroiditis, uh, low thyroid. They're going to your pancreas and inducing. I was going to say your and, pancreas, and then we got diabetes going on. You got pancreatitis or type 1 diabetes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cow milk protein. Everybody can look up uh, BCM7, beta casomorphine 7. Researchers call it the milk devil. They know that that's the protein in cow milk that causes type 1 diabetes. They now know exactly why, you know, that kids that get cow milk in the first five days of life have a 40 to 50 times higher rate of type 1 diabetes than the general population. And yet, and yet this is, these are things that are constantly pushed at the population. That's right. So my, my question right. would be, and I'm going to drink you more milk. Exactly. This is this is the big white or elephant in the middle or whatever in the middle of the room here. Um, That's right. If it's if it's population control for animals, is it for humans also? Oh boy! Well, <laughs> now moving right along, uh, let's start. What's, <laughs> what's your favorite color, Kim? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we you know uh, and uh, we we can talk about that. You know that that will be. Let's see. My calendar's open on uh, November the. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, we can do another podcast about that if we really yeah, want to get somebody looking closely really at do. it. We really do. We really do. We're no, that's going a, that's out a, here in holy boldness now. <laughs> that's a, well, amen. And that's really it's really important that people understand these truths and. Um, you know, there, there's a lot going on that shouldn't be, of course, but, um, the, 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 we're getting back now to our, to our central theme here, the obesity, um, is that when these, when these lectins attach to tissue, they induce inflammation. They can, they can insensitize individuals. Um, I was going to say, how many have this problem? Well, in celiac disease, again, when I was diagnosed eight years ago, it was a rare disorder happening in less than one in 5,000 people. And so I go, oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, isn't that just my luck? You know, as people would say, yeah, I've got this disease that only strikes one in 5,000 people. Kind of like Lou Gehrig. What's the odds of having a disease right. that they name after you? You know, but no. The, and, but in my first week of study, I find that they're diagnosing celiacs at the rate of over 1 in 100 in Italy, uh, the United Kingdom, and Scandinavia, you know, uh, where most of us came from. So I'm going, okay, to use a word, it's incongruous, you know, that, that, that they would be having it at a rate of 1 in 100, and we have it over here, 1 in 5,000. So I start writing to all of my medical buddies who immediately wrote me off as being a nut. You know, which I am, but just not for that reason. No, but right. you're, and, uh, and, you're and, bucking the status quo, Dr. J, and that's exactly exactly. what we need to do. Exactly. It's always going to be the salmon that get noticed anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. And sometimes there's a big old bear that scoops you up and you jump out of the water. <laughs> yeah, there are but, a lot uh, of bears so, out there. So that's why I try to stay under the surface a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, but every, you just got to jump out of the water every once in a while just for the fun of it. But uh-huh. no, the um, the the um, 
the fact of the matter is that it was within a year that one of my best friends sent me the New England Journal of Medicine article that said that boldly stated that celiac disease was the most underdiagnosed condition in the country and was affecting at least one in 250 people. Well, the official number now by Johns Hopkins is one in 120. Uh, the unofficial mm-hmm. number by celiac researchers is one in 30. But right. uh, uh, the, the official number in Italy now is one in 55. So they're always ahead of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, but the cool thing that I find cool it's 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 um, uh, scary but it's but it, but it, it, they're, they're finally validating the conclusion that you know that I came to a number of years ago and that is that it's not good for anybody it's just better tolerated by some than others. Right. Today's oh. gluten, man's gluten, which the history of gluten is on my website, but man's gluten is not good for anybody. It's just better tolerated by some than others. And researchers now think that one out of three people are being affected negatively by gluten in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And when you see the list of things that have been definitively tied to celiac disease, then you see that that list is getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And because these proteins, these lectins, are involved in these things, these lectins come and attach to any tissue cell in the body. And if you're sensitized to them, they can start inducing inflammation. Now, this is before the immune system gets called in. People need to understand that the immune system gets called in after the process has started, the damage and the stuff starts happening. And that's why you get negative tests when people get tested because some people don't respond appropriately, starting right from the damage in the gut. The bad news is not everybody who has celiac disease is allergic to wheat. That's a very bad thing. Mm -hmm. And we understand now that people that have celiac disease that are not allergic to wheat, they're some of the worst because they're being diagnosed so late. They didn't have the warning signs. Their immune system's not responding appropriately. The the lectins of gluten are pounding away at their tissue, yet there's no outward signs or blood tests to show that it's happening. They're, they're, they're turning out to be our worst celiac. So, right. so now people got the picture using gluten as an illustration that these proteins are inducing rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, type 1 diabetes. They're involved in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and MS, Huntington's, Korea. They're involved in epilepsy. They're involved in narcolepsy. They're involved in, you know, all these different things because they are toxic. They are potentially toxic to every tissue in which they come in contact. The mystery that remains, and it's not that much of a mystery, but the, but the, we'll call it a mystery at this point, is why a celiac doesn't develop everything. Why do, you, why do you have this celiac over here who has this, this one over here has this, blah, blah, blah. And it's an interesting thing, and part of it has to do with part two, which is the viruses they have in their body. Because I'm a million percent convinced, as are you know, many researchers here when you start reading, that it's the virus inside the cell that determines what the reaction of that cell is going to be when the lectin attaches to it, okay? People want to use, they love to use the word genetics, right? Mm-hmm. They love to use the word genetics, okay? And, uh, and you, when you start looking at genetics, it's, it's, a, it's a recycle bin. It's kind of a catch-all for everything. Oh, it's genetic, you know, we'll figure it out someday. But, you know, the, the, the cool thing is, you know, the DNA and the RNA that we call our genetics and how it works and everything, some people can remember learning about that in biology. It's really a fascinating thing. It's like a whole other galaxy inside your cell, what's going on in there. And, and when you look at what DNA and RNA are, they're just, they're chains of nucleotides, which are made up of amino acids and these kinds of things. And you kind of go, how in the world does it know what it's doing? You know, how does DNA, you know, it's a double-stranded subject, this uh, substance with all these nucleotides attached, and, and yet it's determining all of these things. It's determining, uh, you know, how many eyes you have, how many ears you have, you know, preferably two of each, you know, uh, and, 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 and all these things, and your eye color, 
But there's also stuff in there that's coding for disease. There's tears and you know, there's tears in the wheat. <laughs> um, you know, that's and, an interesting and, way to put that, Doctor J. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a whole other lecture. That's the one I gave to my church. Uh, ah. But the, <laughs> no, but no, it's really interesting because it is. There's good things in your DNA and there's bad. Okay, we right. talked about it before. Up to they, researchers now think that up to forty percent of the genetic information in your double stranded DNA is viral information. Right, mm-hmm. and okay. I've been reading so, that also, which, you know what, your words are just ringing in my ears when I read this stuff. Right, <laughs> right, right, and so, uh, uh, well, good, I'm glad, I'm sorry, they're, they're plaguing you like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but it's, a, it, it's, a, uh, it's true, so, you, so your DNA is uh, everything that's good about you, your blue eyes, your you know, color, your hair, and all those good things, but also there are viruses and there are viral information in there that codes for breast cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and all these things that we, that we have determined are genetic disorders, but we haven't really figured out how they happen because not everybody in the family gets them. And if it was genetic, why didn't it show up right away? That's mm-hmm. a great question. I love that one. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's right. genetic, why don't you have it from birth? Why does it wait 60, 70, or 80 years? Right. Um, if it, This is part of the lecture out in Reno. Okay, so we've established that something is waiting. What is waiting? What triggers it out of waiting? What does it do when it comes out of waiting? These are all very important questions that we actually have the answers to. And so it's uh, the viruses are, the, the question about viruses is whether they're alive or not. You know, there's a great controversy as to whether a virus is alive, but when you understand how viruses work and what they do, then it's it's impossible for a non-living entity like a virus to do what it does. And if you if people don't know what a virus looks like, they kind of look like the Epcot Center, you know, a multifaceted head and something very geometric with the shaft and things, something that looks like spider legs and an anchor plate, and they come and stick to a cell and they inject their genetic information, their RNA or whatever, like a, like into the cell. Robot. They look like something from another planet, exactly. They look like nothing else that we that we have in our body. Um, a they, Borg, a Borg, you know, resistance, yeah, exactly. resistance is futile. <laughs> they look, that's right. They, they, and they, and they, they put this information into your cell, and then some of these, particularly retroviruses, their information goes right into the DNA, and retroviruses are the main group of uh, viruses that cause cancer. And so, um, and then I've got a question, you know, you know, on my website, we talked about them before. I've got the viruses friend or foe and the cure mm-hmm. for cancer explaining why viruses cause cancer. But, but we're not going to go there as much as I want to because I'm on a roll. No, no, uh, we, <laughs> but we're, we're going to stop short of that. We're going to stop short of that because the thing is, we're going to get back to the fat because we've got this we've got this system in our body that is trying to keep all of this under control there's two parts of your immune system there's the uh, there's the adaptive immune system which everybody knows about the antibodies and all that stuff that help you fight disease and remember disease so that you have immunity to it later on but the part that's really the most fascinating to me that we've really only been studying for the last decade or so is the innate immune system Okay, innate immune system. And the innate immune system is made up of various substances and cells that keep the body from being infected by things to begin with. Okay, and so you have things in your body that are trying to attach to these proteins that are getting into your bloodstream to keep them from attaching to tissue and causing disease. The glaring example that everybody knows about but doesn't know why it works yet is glucosamine. Mm-hmm. Glucosamine works by attaching to these proteins and keeping them from attaching to joint cells and inducing arthritis. 
We know that. And so now we also know that glucosamine can be used to treat cats with chronic bladder disease because these proteins are attaching to the bladder and causing the cystite, one of the major cystitis syndromes that we see in the cat. So we're finding now that glucosamine can be used to treat um, these chronic immune-related disorders and how we know how it works. They work by scavenging, if you will, these proteins and getting them out of the system. We have a backup system for the scavenging, you know, the innate immune system, and it's called fat. Hmm. Okay. What people have to understand what the purpose of fat is, and this is really elementary and this is really cool. Everybody thinks that fat, the main purpose of fat is to give you more calories during lean times, and Americans never experience lean times, at least most of them, so they, they never get rid of the fat. You know, and so, but yes, fat does provide calories to animals that hibernate, um, and some humans that do. <laughs> no, and, um, I, I don't know, some of them look like they're, they need to. And, uh, they, they, the, um, they, they, that's one of the purposes of fat is to provide you with, with calories during lean times. But the other purpose of fat is to store toxins and things that your body doesn't want mm-hmm. in it. Okay, right. it's very important. Think of fat. Think of fat as your recycle bin on your computer. Yeah. Stuff that goes away to get it out of your thing, so maybe it won't cause any harm and stuff. And we know that fat residues are loaded with things like insecticide residues. I mean, mm-hmm. fat's loaded with residues like insecticide residues, DDT, and all this other stuff. Estrogens, excessive estrogens, right. are stored in fat. Okay, and so the fat, the fat is is designed to put things in it that your body doesn't want in it, and and so uh, here we go. Along comes a lectin of wheat, dairy, soy, and corn. We focused on 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 celiac disease, but there are four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's dairy proteins, corn, and soy, and these proteins come and attach to a fat cell. The fat cell immediately recognizes, especially in the individual, in the in, sensitized individual, that there's something wrong with that protein, and it starts replicating and duplicating. Okay, we know that that's one of the things that lectins do. And again, here's a great thing for people to look up: look up the lectin story. Put the lectin story in the search engine. You'll see something. You'll read this. It's very, very readable, and you'll see exactly what these guys do. Okay, so. The, what is it inside the cell that recognizes that there's something on the outside that it doesn't like and that it won't, makes it want to start duplicating? Well, again, I, I contend it's the viruses. And if you put virus and obesity in the search engine, you'll see that they're identifying viruses that cause obesity in animals and people. Uh, they've been wondering for years why people in, thir- in people in third world countries, for example, why on the same diet you get some that are skinny as a rail and look like they haven't eaten for months, and you've got the others that are morbidly obese on the same diet. Okay, they know now the difference between those two is the virus. They've, they've shown this in chickens. They've, they've determined that one of the influenza viruses in chickens um, is responsible for obesity in the chicken. And they identified which one it was. It was like influenza C or something. And they had three groups of chickens. They fed them all the same amount of food. And the ones with the influenza C, by the end of a month, they were three times as heavy and had three times as much body fat. Mm. So, so viruses, but what do they feed chickens? They feed them corn and wheat, okay? Um, and that's the, that's how deep this gets is that we now have celiacs that are so sensitive to gluten that they can't eat chicken because of the lectins of the gluten in the chicken flesh from feeding the chickens all of this wheat. So that's, that's how, that's how deep and wide this gets, folks. I know it sounds like science fiction, but we know that this is all true. That's why some celiacs don't get better. Um, they did a study on 2,000 celiacs last year that had been gluten-free for over two years, and they went back and did intestinal biopsies on them, and they found normal villi in 21.7% of them. Hmm. Okay, so they're getting secondary sources of gluten, plus the other big thing, the reason why I got involved in this to begin with, was to tell people that gluten's not the only guy. 
you know, a lot of those celiacs that aren't getting bitter is because they don't know that they're corn, dairy, or soy uh, intolerant. But the, the, the fat is, serves a very important purpose, and the, all these toxins and everything go in there, and estrogens, and of course it's no coincidence that the top three sources of estrogen in our diet are the gluten grains, dairy, and soy. With dairy being the most important because of the consumption, Soy would be the most important, but thank God we're not eating much of it, and now the truth about soy is out, and we won't ever eat as much as, the, as some people would have us to eat. Um, but corn does this, too, to fat, okay? And here's your, here's your example. Here's your everyday example. You know, you walk into a steak restaurant, especially an expensive one, and, uh, and it, what does it say at the top? <laughs> they, they, they say, proud, you know, we, we proudly serve 100% corn-fed Angus oh, yeah. or, or yeah. grain-fed, uh, grain-fed, grain-fed beef. beef right. Why is that important? Well, because the meat's more tender. Well, how is the meat more tender? Because it's got fat in the meat. Oh, really? Okay, so you've got fat in the muscle. It's called marbling. You know, I'm, everybody knows that. And so when you go to pick out a steak, for people who eat meat, you know, you go pick out a steak and you pick it. You don't want to pick out one that's a solid thing of red meat. You're looking for a little marbling in there because you know it's going to be tender. It's going to be more flavorful for, for steak eaters. Um, and so now let's back up for a second. How did we put the fat in the meat again? We grain-fed them. Mm-hmm. We fed a cow that would normally eat grass or hay. We fed them some grain that they would never eat in their life because they're man-raised crop. Thank you yes. for saying that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They would never get these things. Wheat only grew one place in the world. That was the Middle East. Right. Corn only grew one place. That was down in Middle America, buried somewhere down in Central or Middle America. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so cows did not eat these things. There were no right. cows in, in North America, by the way. They were all brought over here from, from somewhere else. Right. Um, you know, buffalo were here, of course, but, um, but that's, we digress. But no, the um, well, there's a good so, reason for all of that too. We'll have to yeah. talk about some. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. It's called polluting your garden. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But no, the um, the, um, the 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 marbling of meat is the glaring example of what I really what I wanted to get to. That's the climax of the story, right there. You know, is that you, we grain feed these cows, which proves a number of different things. It's the grain that caused the fat to form in their muscle. Again, nobody really should want to have fat in their muscle. You should never want that there, but we put it there abnormally by feeding them grain. And second of all, it shows that even the fermentation process that cattle put these processes through does not completely safeguard them against the invasion of their uh, invasion of their body with these lectins. Because we know that lectins, you'll read in the lectin story, that we know that lectins are inactivated to a great degree by fermentation. And so what's cool to see there is that you see how certain groups of people, civilizations, have adapted to these bad choices in their diet by coming up with some way to deal with it, like um, sourdough bread, uh, like fermented dairy products, kefir. Uh, you know, like the fermentation of soy. The Asians probably learned the hard way that you've got to ferment the stew out of this stuff before it's safe to eat. The bad news is most of the soy that we eat in this country is not fermented. It's soy protein that's just right. processed, and it's not fermented. And so fermentation helps to inactivate these lectins. How? Because the fermentation process form, uh, forms alcohol, okay, and all of these proteins are alcohol-soluble. Okay, they're not water soluble. That's why it, when they when they leave the leave the stomach of the person, everybody thinks, oh, our stomach juices would break all that down. Oh, contraire. 
Mm. You know, you know, they, they leave they leave the stomach and they start attaching to the first thing they come to, which is your duodenum, the first stretch of small intestine after your stomach. And um, and when you're sensitized, you know, like if you're uh, one in thirty people, which mm-hmm. most of us are, one out of thirty. Wow. Somewhere, you know, yeah. <laughs> that that um, that it's going to, you know, it's going to start doing this harm. And uh, but along comes the benefit of small amounts of alcohol, starting with wine and, you know, in biblical days and beyond and, and everything else, because alcohol will help to keep your villa clean. Now, I'm not giving everybody who's listening free reign to go drink all the booze they want. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't get me wrong. Please, but yeah. small but there's reasons why people started drinking wine with their meals and sherry after the meal and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and I always like to pick on the Italians because the Italians are a pasta-based society, uh, and one in 55 of them now have celiac disease. How in the world have they survived all of these years? Because they drink wine with their meal and they eat their salad after their meal. This is the adaptation that they've done. And so the alcohol is like a little paint cleaner, you know, and then the after-the-meal salad is like eating a Brillo pad. And it's all about keeping your villi clean. So the, mm. the, main, the, the main medical benefit of small amounts of alcohol is to keep your villi clean. The main medical benefit of fiber is to keep your villi clean. Okay, we've got all these other ideas about fiber and alcohol and all that kind of stuff, but to me, after all this study, those are obviously the main reason for those things uh, to be in our diet. And so everything in moderation, you know, a little bit of wine, even Timothy talked about that, you know, and so, uh, but the problem with the alcohol that we've turned to, we've gone from um, the, the best source of alcohol to what? Grain alcohols. Okay, so, 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 so guess what? These proteins start attaching to liver cells, and they start inducing liver disease in humans and cats. It's called fatty liver syndrome, one of the big syndromes. And, um, and so alcoholism is the leading cause of fatty liver syndrome in, in humans. Um, and what are most alcohol made from? They're made from grains. They're made mm. from corn or corn mash or, or wheat right. or barley. And beer's got, got, got gluten in it and everything. Right. And the poor cat. What a racket. Poor, yeah, exactly. And the poor cat who, uh, who is a carnivore and would never even come close to eating these things mm-hmm. in nature, mm-hmm. you know, he, he gets fed these things, the corn, right. the wheat, the stuff, and, right. he, and he develops this devastating disease called fatty liver syndrome. Mm-hmm. Veterinary medicine says they have no idea what causes it, but, you know, the people who have just heard this lecture know more about the, that disease, I believe, you know, I believe, i got to interject that, I believe you now know more about that than the people who teach medical school and veterinary school. Um, and that also. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> and, and then we, people. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you get this mindset, then what you have to do. This is the cool thing that we started talking about at the onset is is helping to determine a cause versus a trigger. Okay, because if you're going to call something a cause then you better be able to explain why it doesn't happen to everybody. If you're going to call vaccines the cause of autism, then you better be prepared to explain the millions of children who have been vaccinated successfully without developing clinical autism. Okay, And it's because the vaccines are a huge and powerful trigger. The ultimate cause of autism, which is a syndrome, it's probably going to come down to one of a myriad of viruses that are already in their brain. And these children, when you give them the vaccine, you just push them off the cliff. It. It's, like, it's like you have all of these kids that are lined up on the, you know, on the edge of the swimming pool. And some of them are too unhealthy to take that vaccine. When you give them a vaccine, you push them into that pool of autism. Uh, and the same thing happens with, with cats. 
not all cats have that virus in their liver that's going to react to that corn protein that's going to cause fatty liver syndrome. But you give corn to the wrong cat, and sooner or later they're going to develop fatty liver syndrome, and just like people. And so it, it's really, it's really what, what differentiates us is the viruses that are in our body and in our genome and, uh, and the health of our body at the time we take on a devastating insult. Because we're all being, you and I and everybody listening are all being subjected to carcinogens every day. Why don't we have cancer yet? Because we haven't done enough wrong yet. We still have a competent immune system, and we haven't made these viruses bad enough yet to cause cancer. But the day is coming. If you keep doing what you're doing, if you keep eating these things when you're sensitized to them, you keep eating this with that philosophy that, hey, we all got to die of something, well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. <laughs> you, you know, we will die of something, but right. you all, you, we shouldn't have women getting breast cancer at age 26. We shouldn't well, have 18-year-olds. It's also about quality. I mean, yeah, you said right. something at, at the beginning of the show about how, you know, yeah, we're all going to die of something, but, you know, it, it's a long road between you being feeling good to dying. Right. right. If you're going exactly. through a disease, and there's a lot of suffering in between there. And That's right. I personally don't want to go that yeah. route, and I'm That's sure right. you don't either. That's right. I think we should be all living to be 120, uh, like Moses, and and um, mm-hmm. and the you know that that's the number to me. And we know that cats can live to be at least 38. There's unsubstantiated mm-hmm. exactly. reports of living to be 40, and then there's Bluey. Uh, you can search on the internet the dog, the Australian cattle dog that lived to be right. 29 and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and but we got these dogs that are like the the trouble breeds, the Labrador, the Rottweiler, the German Shepherd that can't get past six and a half because they get bone cancer or degenerative myelopathy or cardiomyopathy, all of which have viral uh, have viral etiologies. Um, if you look up cardio, if you look up uh, osteosarcoma and virus in the search engine of a computer, you can read for a very long time about what they know about the viruses that cause osteosarcoma. You open up a veterinary textbook, and there's no mention of the virus that causes osteosarcoma. We just leave that part out, mm-hmm. and then we also leave out the part mm-hmm. that, flor- that fluoride is a known bone carcinogen. And uh, so you start to understand why a 150-pound Rottweiler is much more likely to get to get bone cancer drinking fluoridated water than a six-pound Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. And when we do see bone cancer in the small dogs and the cats, where do we usually see it? In their mouth. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huh. that's a that's a three-stroker there, as as a Stephen Colbert would say. <laughs> Come back and do a bunch more shows as well. Yeah. You need to do. Well, I've been, I've been busy since we talked last, but yes, but you yes. know the, the the main thing we've been talking about is is obesity, and so I've proven this myself. I mean, I've lost a tremendous amount of weight avoiding these things. Um, and if you want to lose weight even faster, then you avoid you avoid the the, the carb rich foods that are stuffing the fat cells you already have, because right. there's two there's two groups of foods. There's those that induce fat which are your big four, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then you've got those high-density calorie foods like rice and potatoes and, and, and sugary things that, that overwhelm your body with calories that, get, that those fat cells get stuffed with. And so everybody has heard that, you know, if they get really fat as children, they're going to be fighting the battle of the bulls the rest of their life. They're right. You know, with these kids should be lean. They ought to be looking like a greyhound or a young German shepherd. Uh, you know, when they're going through their younger age, they should not look like that big old fat dachshund at age uh, at age five. And if you study the health of the Chinese right now, you see that the obesity rates are skyrocketing in China. 
because they're the number one grower of wheat in the world. They're consuming dairy products, which was never, ever, ever in their history. And they are the number one producer in the world of high fructose corn syrup because uh, they're growing the, because they're growing the heck out of corn. I was none of which we were going to get to corn syrup. <laughs> yeah, so I had to throw it in there. You worked it in, but no, none of none of that was in the Chinese diet. The Chinese right. would, you know. Their, their biggest mistake to me was that they ate everything that, that wandered the earth, you know, and didn't follow the Leviticus diet, which we've touched on before. But that's why, one of the reasons why they have such high rates of stomach cancer. But they are, but they, you know, they're violating their traditional diet by loading up on wheat, dairy, soy, and corn, thanks to the fast food industry. Mm-hmm. That's where, we, that's where the, we ought to get our, you know, get our hands severely slapped or worse, you know, for coming up with that beast that we've unleashed on the world. But, uh, but the fast food industry single-handedly destroyed the health of this world, you know, but, the, but they're eating against their diet. So the amazing thing is miracles happen when we eat biologically appropriate food. Thank you, know? you for saying that, Dr. J. We were having yeah. a discussion in the chat about that, and, you know, all of the stuff that you're talking about is going right to the processed food problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. instead of, and unfortunately, we've run down to the end, and I can't, get enough i am so upset that we haven't had you on more often soon you know lately because you've learned so much that we're hoping that the audience will um uh, give us some feedback but we're hoping that you will come back and be oh, you're welcome yeah what's scary is that's the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg right let's see how many tips is that three yeah yeah we're yeah, you know i, mean, uh, no, I can already see you need to come back and talk about at we least have to get three caught or up by more subjects right well um you you name the time and i'll be there you know i don't like to talk but uh but i just do yeah. want to force into it <laughs> <laughs> like pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the first time I got a paid gig at a, in an annual, they're going to pay me to talk? No kidding. <laughs> Man, what a, you know, i got to get more of that, you know, right. because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been talking ever since, um, you know, I can remember. <laughs> oh, I, you're so funny. Well, Dr. J, we um, would like to remind the audience to go back and listen to all. I mean, you've done a lot of shows yeah. with us as um, a regular contributor and um so if they would also go to your website, and they can look up a lot of these things that you've talked to because you're continually adding. Um, right. It's at D-O-G-T-O-R-J.com. And they can also um, they can uh, contact you to do phone consultation with them. So that's another great way that they can um, learn more from you. And um, also I'm hoping to do some time. teleseminars in the near future to kind of get started. I'm going to do some, you know, some local speaking here in my area, but I'm going to – I'm going to try to do some teleseminars to kind of kick some things off, and I'm getting ready to, uh, to unleash a completely new website. People get on my website now. They see that it's obviously a homemade thing that I put together myself in my basement with duct tape and paper clips. You know, but, uh, but uh, well, you know, it's one of those things. But, you no, know, the next website's going to be much better. It's actually going to have fly-out menus and video and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's going to be, it's going to actually look like a website that somebody knew what they were doing uh, when they put well, it together. Well, you know what, though? It's got the information of that. It's, it's so there. great. And you yeah. know what, That's everybody, right. guess what? Dr. J is actually even working on something. He's working on putting this all together that we can read. So um, yeah. we're yeah. waiting for that to come out. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's not going to oh. be an impactful book that we need to hear. And Dr. Yeah. J, we're just going to tell you now in our audience that we want you to come back and share because I think um, people are going to really start. People are in this listening mode now that like we've never been before. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so um, 
it's very timely for you to come back and start sharing some of these things, the polluting uh, the garden and all well, of I love you guys. Stuff. You guys are doing fabulous work. You know, I hold you up in the highest regard, and it's just really, it's my privilege. I was, you know, always, always um, love coming on, and, and I just can't say enough about the good that you guys are doing. So kudos well, to thank you. Thank you for being with thank us, Dr. You, J. Thanks, we love Jay. you, too. And we hope everybody out there will go to his website at drj.com read and stay tuned because he's going to be back so um, gee in the spirit of love and truth we hope you all have a tail wagging hoof stomping wing flapping perfectly animal talking day pets and nature come together every week on pet talk naturally with your hosts dr kim bloomer and dr Jeannie thomason learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally.